Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Let me also extend my congratulations to each of the men and women for the outstanding accomplishment that each of those awards represented. This uh, morning, we come to our last uh, chapel service for the year. Uh, We also come to the end of our study of the book of Psalms, which has far exceeded my expectations in terms of the quality and the richness of the messages that we heard throughout the semester. Uh, All along, I had planned on uh, preaching on Psalm 150, uh, concluding uh, the Psalter. But uh, I had also kept anticipating uh, that someone would pick the Psalm that I have decided actually to preach on this morning, because it is without any question the most well-known psalm uh, in the Psalter and uh, perhaps the most uh, encouraging and comforting uh, probably is used more than any other passage of Scripture at funerals, but it really has nothing to do with a funeral. It really has to do with life. So this morning, Psalm 23 will be our focus of attention as we look at what I call a portrait of our shepherd king. Psalm 23, beginning with verse 1, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Bible is filled with metaphors and pictures and images of our great and awesome God. They help us understand things about his character, his nature, his holiness, his goodness, his power, his love. Herman Babnick, in his classic work, The Doctrine of God, gives us a list of ways that our God is described in the Bible. For example, God is compared to a lion, an eagle, a lamb, the sun, a light, a fire, a fountain, a rock, a hiding place, a tower, and also a shield. But there are also more personal and humanly images that help us uh, comprehend who is truly the incomprehensible God. So he is called creator, a bridegroom, a husband, a judge, a king, a man of war, a builder and maker, a physician, and of course he is called a father. Yet there is another image that is actually provided for throughout the totality of Scripture uh, that helps us understand something unique about His preciousness, uh, His compassion, His love, His concern, and His desire to protect and guide His people. And that is what we find in Psalm 23, the image of a shepherd, or I think I prefer to call it the portrait of a shepherd king. You see, Psalm 23 is part of a trilogy uh, that we find in the Psalter. In Psalm 22, we meet our suffering king. In Psalm 24, we meet our sovereign king. 
But here in Psalm 23, we meet our shepherd king, and I am convinced that ultimately each of these psalms is pointing us to the good shepherd himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, three times in the Bible, the Lord Jesus is directly described as a shepherd. In John chapter 10, verse 11, where clearly Psalm 23 is in the background, our Lord himself says, I am the good shepherd who gives his life for his sheep. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20, he is the great shepherd of the sheep who sheds his blood to inaugurate and ratify the new and eternal covenant. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, he is called the chief shepherd who provides for his faithful servants the crown of glory that the Bible says will never, ever fade away. But each of these images, I believe, find their origin in our text this morning, Psalm 23. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of London, called it the pearl of the Psalms. James Boyce, who for many years was the pastor of the 10th Street Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, said, the 23rd Psalm is the most beloved of the 150 Psalms in the Psalter and possibly the best loved and best known chapter in the entire Bible. It is a masterpiece throughout. And J.P. Macbeth, a New Testament scholar who wrote a very fine short commentary on this book, said, it is the greatest poem that has ever been written. You know, Psalm 22 is a psalm that we find on the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I also believe that our Lord could have and indeed probably prayed many times Psalm 23 as well because here for him as well as for us, we find words of faith and confidence and assurance that really should be on the lips of every single servant of God as we trust our good shepherd to both lead us in the paths of righteousness and also to walk with us through what the Bible calls the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I had not seen this until I dove into this text, but not only is the imagery in the psalm related to that of a shepherd, but this imagery is also uh, one that recalls the Exodus. In fact, you discover that there are some parallels that you find in the Exodus record that are fulfilled beautifully in Psalm 23. Here's the point. This shepherd has a history. He doesn't just pop up on the pen of David at this particular moment in time. But no, this shepherd has a history going all the way back to the people of God in the Exodus. And the point is that he was faithful in the past. And you can trust him to be faithful today and also in the future. You see, as I was thinking again about how we would close out this semester, I was just reflecting upon all the many graduates that will be leaving here, some to go to local churches, some to go to very difficult places in America to plant churches, some going to the international mission field, almost all of them among unreached and unengaged people groups where it's hard and in many cases dangerous. Also others are going to be involved in campus ministry and retreat ministries and chaplaincy. And I'm thinking to myself, of all the places I could go this morning, I cannot think of a better place to go than Psalm 23. This particular psalm has three movements, and so we'll follow the outline that I think clearly emerges from this text of Scripture. Number one, our shepherd king provides for us 
what we need. That is the theme of verses 1, 2, and 3. Our shepherd king provides for us what we need. Now, we all know this morning that a sheep has only one shepherd. And for you and me, we have a shepherd who knows our name and a shepherd who uh, so compels us to follow him that we do. As John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28 add, this shepherd king gives to them eternal life and they shall never perish. He knows our name. We follow him. He promises us that he will give us a life that will never perish ever perish if that's what he's going to do in the future then just ask the question well what is he going to do for me today and tomorrow and the psalmist highlights three things that our shepherd king does for us number one he gives us nourishment look at verse one and verse two the lord and it is fronted intentionally yahweh is my shepherd and i shall not want uh, the NIV says, I shall not be in want. The New Living Translation says, I have everything I need. The message says, I don't need a thing. Now, one of the things we need to note is the prominence of the personal pronoun. There are no less than 17 personal pronouns in these six verses of the psalm. In other words, this good shepherd is my good shepherd. This good shepherd is the great I am of Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, who is bound neither by time or space. He is not limited in knowledge or in power. This one is my shepherd, and through faith and trust in his perfect work of salvation, he is going to lead me day by day. And in the process, he is going to give me nourishment. He is going to give me everything that I will ever need. Now, let's just focus on that for just a moment. And let's be honest. In this life, all of us will never have all that we want. Even if you are like super spiritual and really godly and live a life of total surrender, there's still going to be times in your life where there's something you want that you don't get. And yet the Bible says you may not always get what you want, but this good shepherd will always provide every single thing that you need. In fact, this same promise is made to the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 7. And so, left to ourselves, sheep, as we well know, lack everything. And they're not smart enough to find it. But cared for by the good shepherd, we lack nothing today, tomorrow, and forever now note the nourishment that is provided there in verse 2 the bible says first of all that he makes me lie down in green pastures that is the idea of his feeding us secondly he also leads me beside still waters so this good shepherd provides my food this good shepherd provides my drink as well and that's not surprising is it because in John chapter 6 and verse 35, we are told that this good shepherd is the bread of life. And we're told in John chapter 4, verse 14, and again in chapter 7 and verse 38, he is the living water. Now, you will never really understand all that's in Psalm 23 if you don't always read Ezekiel 34. Because in Ezekiel chapter 34, you, do, you read about shepherds who are not shepherds, they're hirelings. 
they are uh, leaders of Israel who abuse and take advantage of the people. And God comes down in, in, in judgment, telling them, in light of how you have mistreated my people, mistreated my sheep, this is the judgment that I will pour out upon you. But then at the end of Exodus, or excuse me, Ezekiel 34, there is the promise of verses 23 and 24 where God says, in the future, I will send one shepherd, my shepherd David. And of course, we know that ultimately, the one who is the greater David, the son of David, will come as our good shepherd, that being the Lord Jesus Christ. He provides everything that we need in terms of nourishment. But secondly, he also gives us rest. Look at verse 3. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness, and he does so. Now, don't miss this. He does so for his name's sake. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The word soul there in verse 2 at the end simply means my life. In other words, the Lord has a habit of reviving us when I need strength. It is the Lord who restores us when we get knocked down. And again, in the context of ministry, just understand there are going to be many times when you get knocked down. In fact, you'll sometimes think, I have been knocked down and knocked out, but the good shepherd comes right alongside of you, picks you up, and gets you back into the race. And here's the deal. Gets you back into the fight. Gets you back into the ministry. And here's the deal. Last night, I was talking to one of our students who happens to be a relative of mine. And he said, I hear repeatedly that 50% of all those men and women who go into the ministry will not be in the ministry 10 years out. And I said, unfortunately, that statistic is true and has held for many, many, many years. Now, that reality, which is very sobering, begs the question, why? Why? Why is it that some who start so well do not finish so well and there are a number of reasons i want to do not want to be overly simplistic this morning but I, i'll tell you this i think at the very core and foundation they simply aren't looking enough and depending enough on their good shepherd look there are a lot of wolves out there uh, there are a lot of mad dogs out there and it's very easy to get knocked down and to get discouraged and to get hurt and to just throw your hands up and say, this isn't worth it. But Jesus is. And if Jesus has called you to this noble, lofty assignment, he knew what you were going to face. He knew the difficulties and trials that you were going to endure. And yet he has promised he will sustain you he will restore your soul but it gets even better he will also during these days of ministry and service he will lead me in paths of righteousness for his namesake for his glory for his praise as i was preparing this study i came across a very interesting poem written by a woman named marcia hornuck and she basically took psalm 23 and she flipped it and in essence, she gives the title to the psalm, I think appropriately so, Psalm 23, the antithesis. And just listen to what this gifted poet wrote. The clock is my dictator. I shall not rest. 
It makes me lie down only when exhausted. And it continually leads me to deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done. For my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my need for approval, they drive me. They demand performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines. My uh, emails and my text messages overflows. Surely fatigue and the pressures of life shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. So many men and women that are serving the Lord today, there's the perfect description of their lives. Why? Did you hear what he said or what she said in the poem? For my ideal is with me. They demand performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. You listen to me. If you are indeed driven by an ideal to reach a certain status in ministry so that you have the applause of men and women, you're destined to fail and destined to be uh, disappointed. Listen, brothers and sisters, bottom line, you don't have to please all those people. You just have to please the good shepherd. And he has promised you he will nourish you. He has promised you he will give you rest. And he has promised that he will give you guidance. Again, the last phrase of verse 3, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. He leads me. He guides me. He doesn't drive you. He doesn't coerce you. He doesn't manipulate you or trick you. And he doesn't put a burden on your back that you're not capable of bearing. No, these are paths of righteousness where you're going in the right direction and you're being led by his spirit through his word to do the right thing and to think the right thing and to say the right thing. And you do all of it, not for the pleasure or the applause of men. You do it for the sake of the good shepherd who gave his life on your behalf. Be continually reminded of what Psalm 119, verse 105 teaches us. Your word is what? A lamp to my feet, and it is the light to my path. John Piper's thoughts here, I think, are helpful. A path of righteousness is a right path followed with the right attitude. Doing the right thing in the right way is a sign of true spiritual maturity. And it is essential for effectiveness in ministry. All for his glory, his honor, his name's sake. Our shepherd king provides for us what we need. Number two, our shepherd king protects us where we are. He protects us where we are. Look at verse 4 and verse 5. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You even prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I have a friend who makes an interesting observation 
about what he refers to as historic figures and wild things in the Bible. In fact, he wrote an article entitled, when the, Where the Wild Things Are. And here's what he writes. Listen, it's very insightful. Heroic, heroic figures in Scripture are often pictured as heroic slayers of dangerous animals like David or Samson. In the shepherd imagery of the Bible, the shepherd's primary duty is to protect his flock from predators by fighting them off. That's why the psalmist is comforted by the good shepherd's rod and staff. It's not that they look cool and shepherd-like. It is that they are used to knock the teeth out of wolves and big cats. And I might add carnal deacons. I'm just playing with that. Uh, but there are people out there that you're going to ask God, I can't handle them. Uh, why don't you use your rod and staff and take care of them? In fact, the matter is, you should never try to handle them anyway. It's not your calling and not your job. That's God's business. And by the way, he's a lot better at it than we are. So one more time, it's not that they look cool and shepherd-like. It is that they are used to knock the teeth out of wolves and big cats. The shepherd warrior imagery in the Bible is then applied to the Davidic king of the people of God. The good ruler, like the bold shepherd, devotes himself to exterminating predators whenever and wherever they can be found. And I would submit to you that the biggest predator of all that we face is right here in these verses, and that is the predator, or if you like, the big cat of death. Know what the Bible says in verse 4. Yes, our shepherd king protects us where we are because he is with us when we face death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the valley of deep darkness as a possible alternate reading, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Question, do we ever lack things in life? Yes. The answer is clearly yes. But here we are, follow the imagery, walking in a valley that is called the valley of the shadow of death. It's a very deep shadow, deep darkness, the darkest valley. As all of you know, I am a big fan of missionary biographies. In fact, I think part of what God used to give me a missionary heart was when I was in Bible college my first year there, uh, I read uh, To the Golden Shore. Uh, which is the biography of Adoniram Judson. If you know the story of Adoniram Judson, uh, he was a very brilliant, gifted individual, uh, had become an atheist, and then uh, one night uh, heard a man screaming in terror uh, as he was dying. The next morning, he got up and asked the proprietor, who was that man? He gave him his name, William Ames, who was a dear friend of Judson's. And he said, well, is he okay? He said, no, he died. And the fact that he died in such terror and torment, God used to bring him to faith in Christ. Long story short, brilliant, gifted, had a promising career to remain in America in ministry. No, he and his wife, Anne, would go to ultimately Burma, where he would serve the remainder of his life. While there, he would be in prison for 18 months while his wife was pregnant. Upon getting out, she was so emaciated and the baby so poorly in health that eventually, while he was on mission travels and journeys, his wife died, his baby died, and he was so despondent, he went out into the jungle and dug a grave, and for months, 
just sat by that grave and looked into it. And in his writings, he says of his God, of our God, I know you are there, but I cannot find you. He was in a deep, dark valley of death. There's no green pastures here. There's no restful waters here. And yet amazingly, David can write, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Look at it. For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, don't miss this. Why are we going through the valley of the shadow of death? Answer, because the good shepherd led us there. This is not accidental. This is not fate or bad luck. No, there are going to be times when our experiences in life and ministry feel like we are in a dark, dark, dark valley where death is all around us and why are we there because the good shepherd himself led us there he put us there for what is in our best interest he leads us sometimes into danger he leads us through places of death and why does he do it actually it's very clear in the text he does it to get us to a better place look at what he says in verse 5 yes he is with us when we face death but he is with us when we face the enemy you prepare for me a table before me you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil and my cup it's overflowing he has now moved out of the valley of the shadow of death into the very presence of his good shepherd his shepherd king and he's at the table now look at what it says there here he is sitting at the table of a great banquet and here he is and furthermore the king is there with him who took him through the fields and the valleys and now has moved him on on the aftermath to a table in a house in other words, he's brought him here safe and satisfied. And amazingly, he's also there at the banquet preparing for him a great banquet, a great table of delight, and it's done so in the presence of his enemies. Now, again, enemies may be all around, and yet right in the midst, God is serving us and sustaining us and this is something, again, that it was not only true for David, it should be true and will be true for you and for me. Put it in context. Walking in the paths of righteousness in complete trust and dependence on the shepherd king, I'm confident that I will lack nothing. Even when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, even when I'm surrounded by my enemies, I can still trust and believe you will be faithful. And you will provide for me and give to me everything that I need. In fact, no, he'll do more than that. You anoint my head with oil, a public way of honoring a guest, but here honoring those who are his sheep. And look at it, my cup, it runs over. You give me more than I need in a gracious, lavish display that the whole world, even my enemies, can see. You see, the Lord's cup is never empty. It's never half filled. It is always filled to the brim, and it is running over and over and over. And guess what? When that is taking place in your life, the enemies, 
You don't even see them. Many of you know that just a couple of weeks ago, um, Charles Stanley passed away. He was 90. Uh, Charles Stanley was used greatly by God during the conservative resurgence in the SBC. In fact, he presided as president in 1985 when the convention was at Dallas. Uh, I was there along with 45,000 other people. Uh, I've never been a part of anything like that in my life or since, uh, before or since. The tension was so thick you could cut it with just a plain little plastic knife. Uh, during that, see, sometimes today, some of you whiny boys and girls, I'm sorry, this is for free, it's not in the notes, but you need to hear it just the same. Things happen in our convention, and you say stupid things like, well, you know, I just don't know if I can stay at Southern Baptist. We just got so much junk going on. And I think, really? So we have a little hiccup with the executive committee. You won't even think about it a year from now. Well, we're having to figure out how to handle the issue of, uh, of a church that's calling women and ordaining women as pastors. And, oh, I just think the world's going to fall apart over that. And, yeah, we're still having to deal with the sexual abuse thing as if that would be something you could fix just like that. And then you say, well, I just don't know. I just, I just, I just don't know that it's worth it. And then you don't think about the fact of what we do through international missions. And you forget the fact that in the last 10 years, we have planted 10,000 new churches in North America because we can do more together than we would ever do by ourselves. You forget the fact that we have six really good seminaries that all stand without any apology on the rock-solid foundation of an inerrant Bible. And you think when we have these little kind of dust-ups, and I said, well, let's go back to Dallas in 1985 and watch two pastors off to the side take their coats off and square up to get into a fist fight while ABC was right there with their camera videoing it. And thankfully, a cooler head walked up and said, you know, boys, you can duke it out if you want, but you're going to do so over national television. Go to a convention where people actually use profanity towards one another. And the tension, again, was so thick because what was at stake was like really, really significant. Whether our convention is going to move forward standing on the rock-solid foundation of an errant Bible, are we going to have seminaries as they were in 1985 filled with professors who don't believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God. This stuff today is minuscule compared to that. And yet we allow ourselves to get focused on stuff like that. And what do we do? We take our eyes off the good shepherd who has fed us and watered us who has led us in paths that will lead to greater conformity to the image of Christ, a shepherd who walks with us when we go through the valleys of the shadow of death for our good to get us on the other side where we're now in a banquet hall and our enemies are looking at us, but our enemies can't do anything to us because we're protected by this shepherd king. And therefore, when we look at him and focus on him and see how his cup overflows with kindness and grace and mercy and goodness. We just don't even really see our enemies very much anymore, do we? And that's why the psalmist will bring all of it to a close when he says, not only our shepherd king provides for us what we need and our shepherd king protects us where we are, but our shepherd king promises us what we will have. Look at verse 6 as we close. Surely, goodness and hesed, mercy, loving kindness 
it will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever you see Psalm 23 is not about death it's about life it's not about dying it's about living and as the good shepherd said in John 10 10 I came what to give you death no I came to give you life and that you might have it more abundantly I'm the one who died and I'm the one who would go to the cross and I did all of that that I might give you life and a life that is abundant one of the commentators I read made this analogy. I think it's, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, God is like a heavenly highway patrolman. Now, again, this is for free. I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to anyway. For someone like me, the imagery of patrolmans always strike fear in my heart. You say, why is that? Well... This is, I guess I can confess, honey, to my students and seek their forgiveness as well. I have a really heavy right foot. In fact, if I could get away with it, I would have two cannons on each side of my traverse. And when I'm going down the expressway and idiots who drive 55 miles an hour get in that lane, I would blow them to smithereens so I could move on down the road at 75, 80, 85, you say, have you ever gotten a ticket? Oh, have I ever gotten a ticket? We're in double digits. But the first number is not a two yet. So when I think of a patrolman, it just kind of makes me nervous. But then I read the rest of what he said. He is always in hot pursuit of us with goodness and mercy. You see, instead of being pursued by your enemies who watch you feast at a great banquet prepared in your honor, it is the goodness and the hesed, the mercy, the loving kindness of our shepherd king that is constantly running after you and running you down. And by the way, you can outrun or outlast our God. He is too fast and he is too quick with his love and with his mercy. And because of that, he makes a promise that you and I will dwell in his house, not for a season. Better is one day in his house than a thousand elsewhere. Well, the Bible says no. Better is eternity in his house than a thousand elsewhere. I mentioned at the beginning that the shepherd theme is one that is very rich, that flows throughout the totality of the Bible. You see it very clearly in Psalm 23. You see it again in Ezekiel 34. You'll see it again in Micah 5. You see it again in John chapter 10. But I love this. You see it for the final time in the last book of the Bible, the book of the revelation and listen to what the bible says there as we close revelation chapter 7 verse 16 and 17 speaking of god's people god's sheep they neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore and the sun shall not strike them nor any heat for the lamb the lord jesus who is in the midst of the throne will what shepherd them 
He will shepherd them. And he will lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. This is the good shepherd. This is the great shepherd. This is the Lord Jesus who is my shepherd. And I have everything that I will ever need. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this magnificent passage of Scripture that I know I have not done justice to today. There's just too much here. Uh, there are men that have preached uh, six messages, one on each verse, and I can easily understand why they did that and how they did that. And Lord, it is a reminder that though we are sheep, helpless, sometimes foolish, uh, Lord, we have one that if we even go astray, he will shepherd us back home. How we thank you that the good shepherd of Psalm 23 is the good shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for us that we might have life and have it more abundantly. What a great shepherd, what a great Savior you are. And we make our prayer in your name this day. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.